Hello, and welcome to Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Torella. And I'm your better, prettier, younger host, Tori. We're sisters who are obsessed with true crime and love gal palin with you about cases. You can expect the occasional curse word, lots of friends quotes, and all the 90s nostalgia. To get in on the conversation, check us out at killerqueenspodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook at Killer Queens Podcast. And we're on YouTube at Killer Queens, a true crime podcast. Okay, y'all, grab your Capri Suns or your Surge and let's talk about some true crime. All right, welcome back to Killer Queens. <laughs> hey, hey. So uh, I'm Torella. I'm Tori. And you are you and we're cherishing you. Thanks for being here. Just <laughs> loving you guys so much. Loving ya. So just in case this is your first time here, we are a light true crime podcast slash video channel now, I guess. Yeah. But, you know, we've got the facts, but we've also got the um, tools to lighten it up a bit. We have the know-how and the elbow grease. And the elbow grease. (laughs) (laughs) What is that from? City Hall, Tenacious Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh. I had the, um, the song with the Buttress of Windsor stuck in my head the other day. Yes. Oh my gosh. Like I was doing the dishes (laughs) and I was just like, man, I want to take my hand and... (laughs) (laughs) Man, I want to place my hand upon your fucking sexy ass. (laughs) Squeeze. Squeeze. (laughs) Yeah. I like the whole time I was doing dishes, that's all I could... It was just in my head on repeat. Just want to put my hand on your fucking sexy ass and squeeze. (laughs) It's so good. I don't know why. It's always appropriate. It's all... Yeah. There's, I can't think of a time that it wouldn't be. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so there's that. And um, we, <laughs> <laughs> there's that. And if you want more, we don't have very many videos yet. Ramping that up. We're working on it. But we got a shit ton of podcasts if you want more content. So that's, uh, you can go to our Patreon and get some extra things. We release three episodes a week. So freebies are one a week. And then we have two on our paid levels, additional. Check it out. We do episode by episode coverage. We're doing Tiger King right now. That's actually free for everybody because quarantine, trying to do our part to help out. But we also did like Don't Fuck With Cats. We did Who Killed Little Gregory. Um, We've got some more coming up. And then we do a weekly mini-sode as well. So if you want more content, head on over to patreon.com slash killerqueenspod. So today we're getting into the Soem murders. Mm-hmm. The we Soem. Yes, we 100% since we're from Tennessee, we tried to say so ham all day long. Mm-hmm. And we have learned that we are wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we wanted to do, to do right by the case, but we also wanted to do right by the British listeners because... We're Southern as hell. So we <laughs> we tried to figure it out. Yeah, literally when we talked about this case on like upcoming, we were like, okay, so then on this day, we're going to do the Soham murders. And like, it was always Soham. And then we watched the documentary because when you read it, I mean, it looks like Soham. But then whenever you watch it, you're like, oh, whoops. Sorry. Yes. So. <laughs> 
We have corrected it. Yes. Thank you to Laura Ellison, Keeley, and Joe Bowden for requesting this case. As always. Yay. Yay. On August 4th, 2002 in Soham, in Cambridge, sure. Yes. So Soham's the neighborhood then. Yes. Soham's the neighborhood, yes, I think, or the town. It's maybe like a suburb of Cambridgeshire, which we would have said Cambridgeshire. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, luckily that was pronounced for us as well, too. (laughs) I said as well, too. That's too much. It's either as well or too. (laughs) But yeah, it always reminds me of that movie with Winona Ryder and Adam Sandler where they're like Winchesterton filled. Field Bill, but I feel like in Britain it would be Winchesterton Field Billshire. Yes. You got to have the sure on the end of it. <laughs> exactly. I'll kick your ass from here to New Glockenshire. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. So 10 year olds Holly Wells and Jessica Chapman were at a barbecue with Holly's family. The girls decided to take a walk to a nearby store to buy some candy, but they didn't tell Holly's parents. Around 8.30 p.m., Holly's parents went upstairs to check on the girls, but they weren't in the house, and Holly's parents immediately called police. Holly and Jessica were sweet and well-behaved girls who loved their families. They would have never run off. They're only 10 years old, like... 10. That's terrifying. 10 is... so You know, it's not like they're 15, 16. Like, maybe they went over to a friend's house and just didn't didn't mention it. Like, 10-year-olds aren't going to just go places, typically. No, where would they go? And it's, I mean, they really, in the documentary that we watched, they show a picture of them from the morning or the day that, like an hour and a half before they disappeared. And they are so sweet and just so young. It's just, it's so sad. Yeah, for sure. And they're wearing Vodafone shirts, which I think when I used to work at Verizon, at that time, Vodafone was the Verizon in the UK. Mm. So they're just, I don't know. It's like, you know, you're you are little, you wear like your dad's work shirt all the time or like, you know, whatever, like you have your own from it. I don't know. Like Ben loves sleeping in my Christian brother shirt. <laughs> so it's like, he's like, I want to wear dad's work shirt, but yours. I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he like loves wearing them to bed. But it's like, <laughs> I don't know, just a little kid thing. By the next morning, a full-fledged search party was assembled with police from three forces as well as hundreds of people from the community. Soham at this time was a small village where everyone knew everyone else, so the community came out in support of the Wells and Chapman families. Police searched for days and never gave up hope that the girls would be found alive. Were they lost in the nearby countryside? Or the worst-case scenario at that time was— and I think I think in this situation, you have to think this— were they abducted and they're just being held somewhere? Because the hope obviously is that they're alive. Right. You don't want to think. You can't even let that enter your mind. Yeah, exactly. But on August 17th, 2002, the burnt remains of two young girls were found near Lake and Heath Air Base, about 10 miles from the last place the girls had been seen, which was near the home of their classroom assistant teacher, Maxine Carr. This is known as their last location because the media, in their search to find the girls and answers, had interviewed the caretaker for Soham Village College, who was also the boyfriend of the girls' teacher assistant, 28-year-old Ian Huntley. 
Huntley and Carr had only moved to Soham in 2001 as a way to outrun Ian's past, which nobody in Soham knew about. And he immediately was like, yeah, I'm the last person to have seen them alive or seen them, basically, even before they were found. Yeah, but he was very proactive about getting in there, trying to search for them. Like he made it sound like he was really, really interested in their safe return. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which so many people do. Like a lot of times you see that where a perpetrator is going to insert themselves into the investigation for a multitude of reasons. It could be to just know what's going on in the investigation, kind of keep up with, do they have any information? Are they on to me kind of thing? Or it's almost like like they enjoy watching what they've done unfold and they want to be able to see everything. And these people will, even if they don't already know the family of a victim, they'll get to know the family and you know be like, oh, I'm here to support you and all this stuff. It's, it's sick. It's totally sick. It is really sick, yeah. Ian Huntley was born on January 31st, 1974 in Grimsby in Lincolnshire. It's interesting to me how, how there's like the villages or whatever, I guess, over there. And then I'm guessing like Lincolnshire is the town. Because like here, it's just like in our town, like even in Nashville, you wouldn't be like, this person was from East Nashville in, Na-, you know, like you don't talk about the neighborhoods here, I guess. It's just like Nashville as a whole. He had a terrible time in school and was bullied frequently. Dr. Elizabeth Yardley from Britain's Most Evil Killer episode said that Ian was the odd man out and he had a lot of shame about this bullying and isolation. In December of 84, Huntley met 18-year-old Claire Evans and they proceeded to have a Disney princess-length courtship where they got married within weeks of knowing each other. Raise your hand if you have had a harder time keeping up with healthy habits during quarantine. My hand is so up in the air right now. I have had a big problem with snacking, especially during quarantine, which is weird because I already worked from home. So it's really not different, but here we are. And now more than ever, I realize how important it is to try to eat right. I want to stay healthy. I want to be putting good and healthy things into my body. And Daily Harvest makes that so easy to do. They keep my house fully stocked with clean food built on whole fruits and vegetables. Daily Harvest delivers delicious clean food right to your door. It takes just a few minutes to prepare and I never have to question if the food I'm eating is good for me. They put literally all of the ingredients on the side of the package so you can look at the side and see in words that you can understand because they're real whole foods, what is inside of whatever it is that you're eating. Everything stays completely fresh in your freezer till you're ready to enjoy it. And they have super delicious options for any time of day. They've got smoothies, they have soups, harvest bowls, flatbreads, and more. They never use preservatives, added sugar, or artificial ingredients, and they work directly with farms to freeze organic fruits and vegetables at peak ripeness to lock in nutrients and taste. 
that's commitment, guys. My favorite food so far, um, of course, is one of the bites. So it's cacao nib and vanilla. And also, I didn't know this until I looked it up, but cacao is the raw bean that cocoa is made from. So cocoa is that bean roasted, and cacao is minimally processed and doesn't have a lot of additives to it. The more you know. The cacao nib and vanilla bites taste like chocolate chip cookie dough, and it legit tastes like cookie dough. My four-year-old son thought he was eating chocolate chip cookie dough. He had no idea. He was eating chickpeas, pumpkin, coconut. He had no idea he was eating good stuff for him. So it's definitely got my vote because, you know, sometimes in the afternoon you want a little pick-me-up. At least this one you don't have to feel bad about. Go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code QUEENS to get $25 off your first box. That's promo code QUEENS for $25 off your first box at dailyharvest.com dailyharvest.com promo code queens unfortunately this was not a disney princess type marriage because it quickly became obvious to claire that huntley was an absolute and total fucking nightmare he got angry very easily and she told others that she feared for her life regularly that sucks but really sucks yeah they can play the game for as long as they need to you know well, and in this case, I mean, not that whirlwind romances don't work, but in this case, there wasn't a whole lot of time to figure out. Mm-mm. Like he seemed like he got his hooks into her real quick and then just sealed the deal and then did this like Jekyll and Hyde thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he didn't even have to keep up the charade for very long. That sucks. Dr. Yardley said that Ian Huntley was incapable of maintaining a relationship, which is why he moved so quickly. He would whine... Oh, and thank you to Sloan for researching this. So, Oh, yes, yes, yes. She's pulling a Kevin reference from The Office. She said he would wine, dine, and 69 them, but lock them in so that he could stay in control. So Claire began an affair with Huntley's little brother, Wayne. That's, it's close to home. That wasn't exactly a secret and attempted to divorce Ian. That's some Jerry Springer, Geraldo Rivera shit. Right. Like, but also, do you remember when we did the um, the backpacker murders in Australia? Um, his name was Ian too, right? Ian, why am I forgetting his last name? I don't know. I know it's Ian. I forget his last name. But he was like, wasn't it either him that was like in love with his brother's wife or brother's wife was in love with him or so, there was like some something like that going on in that family too which they had like I think it was he was kids. in love with his brother's wife I think so yeah it was something like that yeah what's up with there's something there there's a trend I, I don't know what it is I'll have to run some numbers and see what happens <laughs> Huntley being the upstanding guy he is refused to grant the divorce in order to keep Claire and Wayne from being able to make their relationship official Despite refusing to grant the divorce to Claire, 24-year-old Huntley fathered a daughter with a 15-year-old girl in 1998. (sighs) Also in 1998, Huntley was charged with burglary and rape of an 18-year-old girl, but both cases had to be dropped due to lack of evidence. He had a busy year. Yeah, a very busy year. This is one of those cases, you know, there's some cases that like the person doesn't have a strong criminal history and and things happen and maybe it's like their first go of it and like whatever. But 
This is one of those situations, it reminds me of Wesley Allen Dodd, where he slipped through the cracks over and over and over and over. Like, had any of this stuff been caught, these two girls would be alive. Like, it's infuriating. Oh, for sure. In 1999, Huntley finally granted Claire the divorce she wanted as he continued to creep on underage girls. They were easy targets who were naive and easily snared. And I mean, Claire was 18 when he met her, so she's still very young, very naive. It's very reminiscent of, okay, R. Kelly, and they're like, when they interviewed him, and they're like, have you had relationships with young girls. And he's like, well, but how old are we talking? Because, oh no, they didn't say young girls, they said teen girls. Yeah, 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 teen girls. And he's like, well, define teen, like 18 or 19? They're like, mm, yeah, um, you you still made it weird. It's 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 weird all the way around. Like, yeah, that's we don't need to clarify, just stop. Answer. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically if he'd said, no, I'm not into teen girls. And then somebody came up and said, well, didn't you date this girl and she was 19? He'd be like, well, yeah, technically, but you know, whatever. Like, she was of age. Like, I guess you could get him on that, but still, it's still creepy. Like, he's fucking old as hell. So if somebody is asking you, are you into teen girls? Maybe just say no. Yeah. Because you shouldn't yeah. be. You should be into women. Not girls. Yes. Exactly. Weird. It's very weird. He became known in Lincolnshire for his pedophilic criminal ways, but Jeffrey Wansell, an author and journalist, called him an insignificant little man who on the surface wouldn't say boo to a goose. Uh, Geese are mean. They are so mean. I don't think you want to try and scare one of those. They're going to get you. Yeah, I wouldn't say boo to any goose. I swear, like they are mean as hell. One time... There was a goose outside of my dad's work or our dad's work. And I was like, Dad, there's a goose out there. And he was like, Go, go give it a kiss. And I was like, uh, hell no, because that goose is gonna get me killed off. (laughs) I know. Exactly. They're so mean. They're super mean. Uh Wansel said, I don't know how to say his name, whatever. Uh, that Ian had no conscience and just did whatever he wanted to do. In February of 99, Huntley met 22-year-old Maxine Carr. I'm honestly surprised he went with somebody who's over 21. Yeah, I know. It was like, that's a that's a different approach for him. Mm-hmm. In true Ian Huntley style, they dated for four weeks and then they moved in together. Wow. He's like a granny chaser at this point. <laughs> right. <laughs> 22. God. Huntley is a narcissist and Maxine was young and easily persuaded. She found him interesting and she didn't seem to catch on to or acknowledge his violent ways the way his ex-wife had. Dr. Yardley said that Ian Huntley had a well-rehearsed script and he says what women want to hear. So poor Maxine Carr was an easy target as well. I mean, that's the thing like about people like that too. There's plenty of narcissist running around out there that get into relationships and maybe they're not physically violent, but any type of woman or person can be persuaded by these people. It doesn't matter how smart you are, how successful you are, like all of this stuff. They find 
your weakness and they're good at what they do and they get in there and then they're especially great gaslighters and make you feel like everything that you have a concern about is your own deal. And like it's, you're blowing out of proportion. It's not that yeah. big of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, you know, and you, if you believe that somebody honestly like loves you and cares about you and you love and care about them, like it's definitely harder to see that stuff. It's, mm-hmm. and they do it on purpose. Like they're horrible mm-hmm. people it, to do something like that. Well, and if you are the kind of person, unless you are incredibly, maybe, I don't know if paranoid's the right word, but if you're kind of on guard, you take somebody for their word. If they tell you something, you're like, well, I mean, this is all I have to go off of. Why would they lie to me? You know, like it's, until you yeah. catch them in something like that, it's it's hard to see it. Right, exactly, yeah. Because you don't, yeah, you don't have a reason not to trust them. Finding the perfect present for mom is tough, especially if you don't have the luxury of celebrating Mother's Day together in person because quarantine. And look, how many bracelets with your birthstone does your mom already have? There's nothing wrong with jewelry for Mother's Day, of course, but what if you got her something so thoughtful and so different she would never even expect it? StoryWorth is a fun and meaningful way to engage with your family, especially with relatives you might not get to see often. It's totally online, and it helps your loved ones share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and personal thoughts. It's the gift of spending time together wherever you live. So here's how it works. Every week, StoryWorth emails your family member or whoever it is that you send this to different story prompts. So questions you've never thought to ask, like what have been some of your life's greatest surprises and what's one of the riskiest things you've ever done? The first question that it is asking me, because we're actually doing this for, for me, for my kids this year, is what were my grandparents like growing up? And my kids didn't get to meet most of my grandparents because they all passed away before they were born. So it's really cool that I kind of get to share that with them even if they wouldn't think to ask me themselves. So the way that it works is the the person gets the, the prompts and they answer the questions. And then if you want, you can get an email when they answer it so you can read them as they're doing it. But you can also leave it all a surprise And after a year, StoryWorth will compile every answered question and photo you choose to include in a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. It's a book that your family can treasure forever. And look, I wish this had been something that was around when my grandparents were alive because, you know, as a young person, you don't think to really sit down and have those conversations. You always think you'll do it some other time. Y'all, I'm going to get emotional recording an ad. You know me though, I cry. So anyway, Mother's Day is May 10th, so dad's listening. Usually you can rely on your kid's school to at least send home like a homemade Mother's Day present. Not this year. They're home. Get StoryWorth. Go ahead and order it. You can pre-schedule the email to go out like with the first story, so you can pre-schedule it for Mother's Day. Um, or you can go ahead and send it so they can start building it up. But definitely go on and order it. You do not want to miss Mother's Day. May 10th, just a couple weeks away. Give your mom the most meaningful gift this year with StoryWorth. Get started right away without the need for shipping by going to storyworth.com queens. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com queens for $10 off. 
In February 2001, in an attempt to get away from the accusations Huntley kept bringing into their lives, Maxine and Huntley packed up and moved to Scunthorpe. In Britain's most evil documentary, Maxine and Huntley's neighbor Marissa Gibb spoke about interactions she'd had with the couple. She said they were lovely and that Maxine was bubbly and wanted kids and to work at a nursery. Marissa shared that one day after she got home, she saw police at the neighbor's house. The next day, she asked Maxine about it. Maxine was very honest and said that Huntley had been accused of rape in Grimsby, but the dates the police were asking about were dates when they were already in Scunthorpe. Maxine also shared that Huntley was always being accused of these types of things in Grimsby. It's like, oh, these people accused me of rape, but I didn't do it. And then it's like, okay, but and also these people accused me of rape, but I didn't do it. Those people over there, they also did accuse me of rape. I did not do that. Like, how many accusations are you going to say are just straight inaccurate? Like, well, yeah, why would, why would strangers or people, why would they continue to lie about you? And I feel like it's, it's like Cat Williams said, like, people don't say that kind of stuff about you for that long for it to not be true. Like, come on. That's right. Cat Williams, very wisdomous. Marissa also told the story of a time she went over to their house for coffee with Maxine. Huntley was away at work and the two women were sitting at the table drinking coffee. Marissa put her coffee cup down on the table and an instant later, Maxine had already picked it up, bleached the table, washed the cup, and was putting it away. Marissa said she thought Maxine just had OCD until Maxine told her that Huntley didn't want people in the house and Marissa was not allowed to tell him that she'd been there. Whoa. Marissa even said she knew Huntley could get violent because she had seen the two have altercations in the kitchen through her windows. She said that she'd seen him back her into a corner and was screaming at her. Later that year, Maxine, and okay, she doesn't go into it here, but because in that documentary, Marissa talked about it, didn't she? Like a situation where, I thought where she said she heard Maxine screaming like, that hurts me or something like that. Well, yeah, he was attacking Maxine. And so Marissa went and took Maxine out of the apartment and brought her to her apartment and was like, look, if you, because wherever she was from, and I can't remember the town, I'm so sorry, but wherever she was from, maybe Scunthorpe, or no, they're in Scunthorpe at this time. Yeah. Wherever she was from, she was like, the train fare's not that much. I will give you the train fare just to go back home, but just don't go back to him. And then the next day she was right back with him. Yeah, yeah. And then later that year, Maxine moved with Huntley to Soham. So he decides to leave because I'm sure he's racking up accusations here. He's like, it's time to go. So they moved to Soham and Maxine moved with him. She was going to be working at St. Andrew's Primary School as a teacher's assistant. And he got a job at Soham Village College as a caretaker. His job came with a cottage for them to live in. When they moved, Marissa spoke with Maxine and let her know that if she ever needed to leave, Marissa would bring her brother and they would come get her. Like, you do not feel like you're stuck. You have somewhere to go. Mm -hmm. But then on Sunday, August 4th, 2002, Holly and Jessica disappeared. On August 5th, Holly's parents spoke at a press conference and they told the public that these girls didn't take anything with them and this wasn't like them. So obviously they weren't meaning to be gone for a long time. They didn't bring anything, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Police tried to use Jessica's cell phone to find the girls, but they couldn't pinpoint a location. They also set up a headquarters at the girls' school, and they talked to everyone who has had contact with the girls. 
They're searching for Holly and Jessica around the clock, and the community is just as vigilant. So the search goes on for a week, and then it goes on for two weeks almost. And then on August the 15th, 11 days after the girls disappeared, Sky News decided to retrace the girls' last movements. They interviewed the last person to see them, which was Ian Huntley. Huntley was, as we said, the boyfriend of the classroom assistant in Holly and Jessica's classroom, Maxine Carr. So there's definitely a connection there. Well, and I know that police were kind of under fire because they didn't really get at this case as quickly as they needed to. Like there's a small window of opportunity, what it's like the first 48 or something, where that's where you get all of your information. That's where you need to like hit it hard. And they should have been looking at Ian Huntley from the beginning because he's the last person who was known. I mean, he confessed and said he's the last person that saw them alive. Yeah, it wasn't like like he was trying to hide that from anybody. He was almost shouting it from the rooftops. Like, I'm connected. people were like, well, connected. that's that's great. Uh, We're going to keep looking. Yeah, just let us know if you see anything. Cool. Bye. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Huntley told reporter Jeremy Thompson that he didn't really know the girls, but he saw them on August 4th around 6.15 p.m. when they stopped by his house and asked how their teacher's assistant was doing. Huntley reported that he told the girls that she wasn't great because she didn't get the job. Huntley said the girls asked him to tell Mrs. Carr or Ms. Carr that they were very sorry and they walked off toward the library. Why in the world are they not talking to him more than this? In the interview, Huntley said, it doesn't help the fact that I was one of the last people to speak to them. I keep reliving the conversation and thinking perhaps something different could have been said. Perhaps I could have kept them here a little bit longer and maybe changed events. What a piece of shit. Absolutely a piece of shit. But at that time, the police were viewing him as a credible eyewitness and not a suspect in any way, shape, or form. When... You've got to rule somebody out before you can decide they're a witness and not a suspect, especially somebody who has no business hanging out with them. They went to your house and didn't tell anybody, and then they were never seen again? Right, and this, how old is he at that point? 24, he's older than 24, right? I mean, he's... Yeah. And he's... He's not a family member. hanging out with 10-year-olds? Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason that they should be... It's not it's not a normal thing for them to just go stop by their their teacher's assistant's house, I would think. I would think that's crossing a line. It's inappropriate. Absolutely. Maxine also wound up on camera when she was interviewed about the girls. She commented that Holly and Jessica were good girls who wouldn't run away. She said they loved she loved their families and then she showed up a card that Holly had made for her on the last day of term. But after the interview was over, Jeremy Thompson and his boss were like looking back at it and thinking about it. And they realized that Maxine kept referring to Holly and Jessica in the past tense. That was the kind of girl she was. They were just lovely. They were just lovely. Like talking about them in the past tense. And they were like, that like she knew that they were not alive anymore. Right. Yeah. That's pretty odd because if you are thinking, that these people, these girls are still possibly alive. You don't know where they are. They haven't been found. One would think that you would be using terminology like they're great girls, just want to see them back, you know, all this kind of stuff. But exactly, they were. The police also became suspicious of Huntley's excessive interest in the case. So 12 days after the disappearance on August the 16th, police brought Huntley and Carr in for questioning. 
12 days. Even if you just think he's a witness, why has he never been interviewed at the police station? If he's straight up telling you he was the last person to see them. Like, that's all you need. That's all you need. And police interview witnesses at the police station very often. It's not like he has to be under arrest to interview him there. Like, exactly. Yeah. Well, and as much interest as he showed in the case, I would think that he would be over the moon to be interviewed for the case or about the case, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Because I'm sure that in his sick, twisted mind, that was a way for him to relive what he had done, you know? Yeah. And to be smarter than the police, because I'm sure he's thinking, they're not on to me. I'm they answering weren't. these questions. <laughs> yeah. I'm answering these questions. And this is like a game for him. Like, look at how superior I am because they're too stupid to realize that I'm actually the person who's done this. Like, exactly. When the couple was at the police station being questioned, a forensic team was at their home and at Huntley's job. So they're finally jumping on to things. It was noted in the Britain's Most Evil episode that perpetrators can often insert themselves into an investigation and participate in searches because they want to admire their own handiwork, which we mentioned. Yes. Yeah. After me, I didn't watch the Britain's Most Evil. Um, After being questioned and held for hours seven hours, the police released both of them because Carr provided an alibi for Huntley saying he was home with her. Oh, okay. (laughs) But that's, I mean, I can say anything I want to say. Does that mean that it's true? Like, right. What? Where's the proof? Yeah, (laughs) let's talk about the word verification. (laughs) Like, right. Let's verify that. Let's ask somebody else or I don't know, like, Or can we find any evidence at home that they were both there? Like, yeah. Jeremy Thompson decided that he was just going to see if the phone number Carr had given him after the interview would lead to her. So after the couple left the police station, Thompson called the number. She answered the phone and Thompson asked how she was. And while she was telling him that they were okay, Huntley grabs the phone from her, shut down the conversation quickly. He told Thompson that nothing was happening and everything was fine. More searches were conducted on the Carr-Huntley house and Huntley's place of work. Forensic teams were able to find evidence of an abduction. In fact, the same day they were questioned, burnt remains of shoes, tracksuit pants, shorts, two football, oh, soccer shirts, football there. Like American soccer, yeah. Yeah. And underwear were found in a trash can, they call it a bin, at the school where Huntley worked. All right, we're gonna have to, you dumb bitch him. Why are you disposing of anything at your fucking job? You dumb bitch. (laughs) Thank God, but you dumb bitch. Oh yeah. Okay, I'm gonna do another raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've been personally victimized by the process of shopping for home or auto insurance. Is your hand totally in the air? Yeah, everybody knows that shopping for home or car insurance can be a mind-numbing, soul-sucking process that can take forever, but it doesn't have to be. With Gabby, you can get a lower rate for the exact same coverage you already have, and they make the process super easy. They take the pain out of shopping for insurance by giving you an apples-to-apples comparison of your current coverage with 40 of the top insurance providers like Progressive, Nationwide, and Travelers, 
And all you have to do is super simple. I did it. You link your current insurance account. So you log in, you link up with that. And within two minutes, you're able to see quotes for the exact same coverage that you already have. The process was so quick and easy. It wasn't like a bunch of phone calls waiting on hold, like all these things. I literally just typed my information in and right then I was shown different quotes. Gabby customers save $825 a year on average. If they can't find you savings on your coverage, they'll let you know so that you can relax knowing that you have the best rate out there. They literally just want to give you peace of mind. That's all they want to do. It's free to use and they'll never sell your information so no annoying spam or robocalls. Take two minutes right now. It's okay, pause, we'll still be here. To see how much you can save on your car and homeowner's insurance, go to gabby.com slash KQ. That's G-A-B-I dot com slash KQ. Gabby.com slash KQ. The forensic expert Peter Lamb was able to positively identify these items as belonging to Holly and Jessica. These were their clothes, and the tops that they were wearing were unusual or distinctive, and the fibers were easy to match because of this. Unusual or distinctive fibers are obviously going to be excellent in, I guess, any case, but this is going to help tie things to him. So we can't say that could be anybody's shirt, you know, that could be anybody because they're found at his work. And they had, I mean, I'm sure like, if they just had an account of what their parents were like, oh, this is what they were wearing. But they actually had a photograph of the exact outfits that they were wearing because it was taken like an hour and a half before they left the house and went missing. So they knew exactly what they were wearing. Photographic proof. Yeah, yeah. Like how often do you have that where a picture is taken hours before somebody is abducted? Like, yeah. I... We'll say this and I'll I'll stand by it all day long. I take a selfie probably 14 times a day and that's just going to help me if I ever get abducted or something. Y'all are going to know exactly what I look like. It sure will. Yeah, because you never know. You've got different like makeup looks you do. Like you look different every single day. I look exactly the same every single day. I have that's from just here to here true. is... Tori, I do the same. I haven't changed up my eyeshadow color in months. It doesn't matter what shirt I'm wearing. I have just this little bit of like a nudish dusty pink and then a and then a darker color I do in the creasy thing. Hmm. I haven't changed that in months. Wow. Well, I'm I guess like I'm very much a broke. creature of habit. Like I eat the same thing at all restaurants. I drink the same thing at Starbucks every day. I find the the thing that matches the most stuff. And I just wear it every day. <laughs> well, I guess we're just different in that respect. We sure are. So that way with your selfies, like a selfie for me from three days ago or a week, because I wear, I rotate the same couple of outfits too, right? Like, like my friend Allison and I were talking about that minimalist wardrobe kind of thing, like capsule wardrobe stuff or whatever. And I was like, yeah, you know, I really wanted to do that, but I just feel like, you know, only having you know, like a couple shirts, like, you know, whatever. That would just be really hard. And she started laughing and she was like, I bet if you took a picture of yourself every single day for two weeks, and then you said, I'm only going to keep what I wore in those two weeks, 
it would be the same couple of outfits over and over in different ways because we just find like, because she's the same way. She's like, I, I all, I am always afraid to get rid of stuff, but I end up just wearing the same stuff over and over because it fits me and I like it and it's comfortable or whatever. Like, I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> totally true. It probably would. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't roll that way. And that's fine. You know, different yeah. strokes, right? Yeah, different strokes completely. Yeah. So a selfie for me from last week would work just as well for today. <laughs> well, I I take selfies because of safety. You know, like I, there's a reason, there's a purpose for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's an app um, that's made by the Center for Missing and Exploited Children. It's called I, Safety Central by National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. But they've got an app and you can upload like your kid's picture and it will send you, it'll sync with your calendar app and it will remind you to change it up. So change the photo in there or to update like their height, their weight, um, any of that kind of stuff. That's really smart because kids change so fast. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's supposed to be really helpful for in the very unfortunate event that your child goes missing, you have all the information right there. And it just stays, it's supposed to just stay in your phone. Like it's not like it goes out anywhere, but, or I don't know, maybe it, I would think it doesn't go out anywhere. But then that way they can, I guess their database has it and they can put out the alert, you know, with all the updated information or whatever. So you're, maybe we should do, you could make an adult one where it's just like selfies every day. I think that's literally called Instagram, but sure. (laughs) What if there was an app (laughs) where you could upload pictures every different day? (laughs) Hear me out. Exactly. And then maybe you could get likes or some people could like comment on them too, maybe. Yeah. And they could be like, looking good (laughs) because, you know? Sure. Yeah. (laughs) If I had a nickel for every time I heard that one. (laughs) Exactly. Cool outfit. Um, okay, so yeah, thank goodness they Let's get down to business. Have that picture. Yeah. Yes. Fortunately, Huntley is not great at being sneaky, and Lamb found five human hairs with the burned items. They were checked against Holly and Jessica's hair, but they didn't match. They were checked against Ian's hair, and it was a match. So Ian Huntley and Maxine Carr were arrested the same day. And Sloan says, Britain does not fuck around. They definitely win because this step alone would have taken days in the US. Ian was interviewed by the news on the 15th, interviewed by the police on the 16th, and arrested on the 17th with solid evidence. Yes. Well, good job, Britain. I wish they would have not maybe fucked around with a bunch of other stuff, but this is where we are. But they said that Usually when somebody tries to cover something up, so usually you're going to burn something because you're trying to destroy evidence or whatever, that people actually end up leaving a lot more evidence when they do that because you're just adding the amount of times you're touching something or you know, you're just taking extra steps and you're creating more opportunity to leave behind stuff. And because the hairs were on top of the burnt remains, it's like the sequence that they had to have been left in means he had to have been there after they'd been burned. Like, don't take extra steps. Like, you're just messing yourself up well, more. 
Yeah, it leaves more room for a slip up or a mess up. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God he did though. Exactly. I'm always so glad that like you see something and you're like, that was such a dumb move and thank God. <laughs> like, thank God for it. Uh, but that's yes. where we're going to stop part one. So next episode, we'll go through literally, you know, everything from their arrest forward, charges, trials, all of that kind of stuff, laying out all the evidence and we'll find out exactly what happened to Holly and Jessica. Jessica. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening and thank you for watching. Yes. And we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah. And if you want part one immediately, then... You mean part two? <laughs> you already have part one immediately. Yeah. Immediately, you will. Are, you already had part <laughs> one. But immediately, if you want part two next, <laughs> next immediately, then go to the Patreon. You'll get early access to it. Sorry. Yes. Thanks for that uh, correction, Tori. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. We'll see you next time. Okay, bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloan Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 